heads up. This episode, John and Sebastian space out over sentient robots, setups and payoffs, and gravity-defying hair as we lift off on Here's Why It's Great. folks and welcome to here's why it's great the podcast where we take what you hate and tell you why it's great i am your host john bring and i am sebastian kedlicek welcome back sebastian how are you feeling today how, how are things going oh i'm doing okay yeah. um i'd say i'm about about a seven or an eight all right you know what'll get me to a 10 what's that watching space camp spoiler alert we're talking about space camp. we're talking about space camp folks and that's going to get us to an 11 and a half at least this movie is a listener request from julie in Yay. Burbank, California, a uh, friend of ours. Uh, she's a great uh, comic creator and uh, a good friend, and we uh, are really looking forward to doing this one. She gave us a suggestion through Facebook a few weeks back, and we've been really excited to do it ever since. Oh, man. I, it was several episodes ago where we sort of alluded to there were some fun uh, listener requests coming. And this is the one that I was super excited about. Also because I feel like nobody knows Space Camp. I feel like even when I was a kid, my friends either hadn't watched it or didn't even know that it existed or what it was about. So whenever there's somebody that knows of Space Camp, uh, including Julie, (laughs) uh, it gets me really excited, really happy. Well, spoiler alert, I haven't seen this movie ever. And this is one of those movies in that subgenre of film where it's like probably most prevalent in the 80s with things like the Goonies, where it's small kids doing adult things. Yeah. Or like a Toy Soldiers, this yeah. movie. Red Dawn, I would yeah. say. Yeah, that's a perfect example. Another movie I haven't seen, unfortunately. Oh, wow. Uh, the remake, nor the original. Oh, I haven't seen the remake. I, I don't think anybody cares to see that. Uh, I'm sure it's not great by comparison. I've seen clips of the original Red Dawn, and it makes me really want to see it. Well, if the remake is not great, we may have to visit it. Oh, boy. You've opened up a can of worms. Oh, I sure have. I just need to keep my mouth shut sometimes. Uh, But Space Camp is like one of those movies where I have been hearing about this movie since I was a kid. Uh, Unlike you, who you feel like people don't know it as well. I feel like I've been browbeaten most of my life for having never seen it. Maybe it's for me, it's that people that have have seen it think that it's dumb or think that it's silly. So for me, it was like, no, you guys don't understand. Like this movie is actually very fun. And as a child, it certainly captured my imagination. I'm really excited about it. Obviously, it's got our girl Leah Thompson in it. Oh, my gosh. She is the tie that binds this whole show together, isn't she? (laughs) She's she's just it for us. That's quite a career. If you've you've made it when you are featured in several episodes of Here's Why It's Great. Absolutely. She can finally rest and stop <laughs> stop doing whatever it is she's doing and yeah. finally call it a day. Just take a nap. Um, and then we've got who who else is in this? Tate Donovan. Tate Donovan, for sure. Tom oh. Skerritt. But Tom I think Skerritt. one of the reasons I loved this movie so much as a kid was because of Leia Thompson, who I had a huge crush on. Oh, yeah. Kelly Preston, who I had a huge crush on. And Kate Capshaw, who I had a huge crush on. So as a young child, <laughs> I'm sure that at least a little bit contributed to why I wanted to watch this movie so much. Gotcha. So you're basically saying that Space Camp was a sexual awakening for you as a young man. I wasn't saying that, but 
you know what? Maybe. I mean, hey, I'm I'm very open about uh, my several things that turned me into a man uh, when I was growing up. Uh, you know, Who Framed Roger Rabbit was a big moment for me. But, Jessica Rabbit walking through that curtain. Uh huh. Yeah, that that's what did it. That was like, hmm, I think I like this. Uh, well, it's interesting that this is that for you, Kate Capshaw. I can't say I've seen her in anything other than Temple of Doom. Well, it was Temple of Doom that definitely I was like, oh, I like her. Oh, see, I never liked that movie very much. Another mm. one that I feel like we should touch on at some point yeah. is Temple of Doom. Because I feel like it's a very divisive movie. Yeah. So, uh, but she was my least favorite Indiana Jones uh, female cohort uh, between her, Marion Ravenwood, who's my favorite, who's mm-hmm. got all that it takes. And then uh, Elsa from the third one from Crusade. Uh, is her name Elsa? Yeah, Elsa. Oh, yeah. Elsa Faust he tells her to let it go. She was she was great. I thought when I was a kid because I came out in '89, so I must have been uh, it's around the time of Roger Rabbit and all that stuff. I mm. thought she was just so gorgeous. Elsa, Elsa. was. Oh, uh-huh. I was so into her, even though she was a bad guy. Sure. At the end, spoiler alert. I I was so into that. Um, she's still very pretty. But Kit Kat Show was my least favorite of those three mm. uh, characters. So Oof. sorry, Stephen. You done chose wrong, Steve. Uh, you that's have what chosen. <laughs> Poorly. Poorly. But I Kate Capshaw truly is not the cup of the King of Kings, is what I'm saying. Wow. <laughs> that oh, being man. said, though, I've never seen her in anything else. So, Well, you're about to see her in Space Camp. That sounds fun. Uh, so we're... Oh, also, we um, forgot to mention Joaquin Phoenix oh, is right. in this movie, but he, at the time, was going by Leaf Phoenix. Leaf Phoenix. Is that his real name, or is Joaquin his real name? I think, because I know he was raised in, like, either Mexico or Central America and that's where Joaquin comes from and that he does speak Spanish but I think his parents who were very hippie-ish yes. gave like River and Leaf, Leaf and, and, I do, and I know they had a sister that also had like a you know weird yeah, moonbeam or something exactly yeah um, but yeah, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. We'll have to look into that. We'll get That's back to you and we'll let you know the full scoop on Leaf, aka. Joaquin Phoenix, yeah, aka Joaquin Phoenix, as I called him until much later in life. <laughs> yep, that's that's me, man. That's me and my uh, <laughs> my true Southern roots showing. I don't know if it's actually a Southern thing. I always say that. I, I think I blame it on being Southern. The uh-huh. fact that I mispronounce things. I think that just may be a John Bring thing. To be uh, to be perfectly honest. Well, it's. I mean. I guess it makes sense. Like, if you were you not around a lot of like Latinos or whatever when you were not up? especially no. So let me ask you this, Seb. Sure. Do people tend to like this movie? I feel like the people I've talked to like this movie. So do you think that it's a thing that's panned? Like, uh, why are we covering this? I mean, mainly we're covering it because Julie recommended it. And we are all about those listener recommendations. So you can go ahead and find us at hwigpodcast at gmail.com or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or wherever fine books are sold. But I think for me, people thought it was sort of silly. Like, I remember feeling like, like I said, there was not a lot of people that didn't even know anything about it. I watched it a ton when I was a kid. We had recorded it off TV, I believe, or off the Disney Channel or something. I don't think we had the actual VHS, but I know that I had it on VHS. And there were a couple people that knew it and that were like, oh, yeah, that was fun. But I felt like, especially as I got older, if people knew it, they always were like, oh, that's dumb. Oh, those kids, that doesn't make any sense. And I know that it was absolutely panned when it came out. And... Part of it, the cards were stacked against them because it came out just months after the Challenger blew up. Oh, right, right, so right. So it was like too soon for people to be dealing with this. And I think it was the same. Uh, I think I had read that it was the same mechanical problem as with the oh no actual Challenger. 
So I think people, it was just a bad timing for this movie to come out. So it was kind of doomed from the start. But critics definitely panned it. They said it was, you know, ever all the characters were one dimensional. That there's, a, but as to what you were saying earlier, like we can, we grew up in a time where there were a lot of movies like that, where it was like, and as a kid, you love it. All you want is to live aspirationally through these characters that are like your age or a little bit older, and that are being put in these situations that they have to be an adult basically, but they still get to be kids. And you're like, Oh, I bet if I were in that situation, I could do that. Oh, I wish I went to a space camp and got launched into outer space. And I, you know, like all these things were, yeah, of course, of course that's not going to happen. Of course that's a silly premise, but fucking movie. If you're a kid, you love it. Yeah. You know, that's what you, that's what you want. And like I said, it was a whole, yeah, it was a whole, like the last Starfighter. Did critics yeah. say like, oh, it's not believable. A kid that played a video game would get embroiled in an intergalactic war. Like, no, it's a fucking movie, man. Yeah. And that's what the whole point of this is. And yes, it like you said, it is aspirational. I just watched Toy Soldiers for the first time about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And I fucking loved it. <laughs> and I'm not even a kid. It wasn't yeah. like an empowering kid thing. It was just like, I don't know, it did, it did ignite something in me of my childhood of watching those kinds of movies or Goonies where it is just like kids fucking fighting back and showing that kids are capable of more than what's expected of them. Yeah, because as a kid, I think you're always sort of pandered to or you're always sort of underestimated. And certainly I remember when I was a kid, every stage of my life where I felt like, oh, I'm very mature. Oh, they don't understand. Like they see me as a kid, but I'm more than that. You know, and that's what these movies speak to, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm excited about that. Like I said, that's still something that uh, gets me to this day. And uh, this is definitely a movie I've meant to watch a million times. Lindsay's a huge fan of this, and she's tried to get me to watch it before. And it's just kind of hard to find. You have to basically buy it on Blu-ray or DVD for the most part. I found somebody that must have illegally posted it on YouTube, the entire (laughs) movie. So that's how we're going to watch it right now. It's not streamable anywhere, which is a bummer. So I think it's a film that slipped through the cracks of our generation, of our of these times when everything is so accessible, it's weird to find something that you can't just get in an instant. Yeah. So I'm excited to watch it. And it's got my, my favorite eighties lady, uh, Leah Thompson. So very excited about that. And yeah, I'm, I'm just stoked to finally say that I watched this and then I have to move on to the last starfighter after that. Cause I haven't seen that either. I'm so excited for that. If we ever do that, I I would love to, I would like to think we will at some point, but there's always a line that I, there's a line that I've said a couple of times to you before that's been out of context because you haven't seen this movie and I would never use out in the real world, but I want you to look for it when we watch. And it's this nice boosters. Oh, you have said that before. <laughs> and it, and I, every single time I just stare at you blankly and you're like space camp. And I, and I have to remind you every time I haven't seen space camp. So, Oh man, I'm glad for that to finally make some damn sense. Yeah. Yeah. We're super jazzed for this movie. I'm super jazzed for this movie. Shall we watch? Let's. All right. We're going to be back right after this to tell you why Space Camp is great. And we are back. We have just watched Space Camp. Yes. On YouTube for free. And I recommend going and checking it out for yourself because man, oh man, what a fun, fun movie. Such a fun movie. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. I watched it many times as a kid, as I think I mentioned in the intro to this episode. But I haven't seen it as an adult. I hadn't until just now. And it was just as magical. It was a treat. Like, no irony at all. Maybe I'm just a a kid at heart, but... 
going back and watching these movies, like I said with Toy Soldiers earlier, like these movies where kids are not being underestimated and and uh, there's just something about that that really connects with me. I wish that they made stuff like this now. I, that's what I mean is like it's so earnest and so like heartfelt. It, there's not the cynicism of today or the like, oh, the kids have to be the like roughest, tumblestest kids. Like Kevin, who's our main or sort of our first way into space camp. They're like, oh, this kid's not clean cut because he's listening to music too loud. He's listening to Eric Clapton, by the way, <laughs> which you could tell that like an older white dude was <laughs> was making this movie because it was like Eric Clapton and the Dire Straits. It was like a playlist from a dude who definitely grew up in the 60s, <laughs> definitely just had his classic rock love, but good soundtrack. I that liked was a it. Super fun soundtrack. But I just thought it was funny that he's the footloose prototype of like what's what's rebellious about this kid is he's just listening to that music too darn loud. Yep, yep. And he drives a jeep. Yeah, and he, and he doesn't in the wrong space. And he doesn't button his shirt up all the way. No way. And apparently he doesn't brush his teeth. Oh, we'll get into Tate Donovan's teeth at some point. Yeah, I, I agree with you. What you were saying that there's it's this movie is like just dripping with earnestness and lacking in any of the cynicism that we're so used to today. Yeah. And I feel like kids' movies today are just all about being like wacky and loud and like manic. Once upon a time, Seb and I pitched to Nickelodeon for a cartoon contest, and we adapted our series Penguins versus Possums for it, and they clearly didn't go for it. And we went back and watched later what won the year prior, and it was just wacky ass nonsense and it was just so loud so in your face and i feel like that is really an example of what kids are into or at least what the gatekeepers are feeding the children sure. today just so bizarro as bonkers and crazy and wacky as it can be as long as it makes no sense and is gross yeah exactly I, I feel like honestly when you think about it that way from the perspective of the gatekeepers that is i guess if you want to keep the kids down what better way than to just feed them sugar uh even if it's in their entertainment Ooh. whereas this movie getting deep this movie is all about empowerment showing you what you're capable of showing you what intelligence and studying can get you yeah. and making you rise above yeah. But now it seems like all that you people the want power. kids to do is just consume more bullshit. So I love the day and age that we come from, yeah. of course, because I'm an old <laughs> man now and I have to say it that way. But it's today. But seriously, like the messaging from this movie is so great. And I feel like it affected so me as a late 30s man uh, who's long past those childhood years. I just saw a bit of myself in all of these characters. And look, they were good characters. It was a very simple story, ultimately. Mm -hmm. But every character had their goal. Every character had their purpose. Uh, with the exception of Kevin, our lead. But it was just like every character had a little something. And it they was... all had their flaws that they had to overcome. Exactly. And everybody did. And they did it through, like I said, intelligence, through study, through being calm and collected and realizing that they got this within them. It's in themselves to overcome their problems. Yeah. And that's a great message. Yeah. And teamwork. It made the dream work. They... That we see them early on, first working as a team, and they're the dysfunctional version of the Avengers. And then by the end of the movie, they have to, in order to survive, they have to all work together, all use their strengths, all get over the flaws that are set up in the beginning and, and rise to the occasion, finding the power both within themselves and within uh, the team. I loved that. I think that's a great message. And it was super fun. It was really exciting, honestly. I didn't know if it was going to still be as exciting I'm sure it was more exciting to me as a child, but I thought there were still a lot of moments that really, really worked and where I was like, oh my gosh, and maybe it's just me remembering 
seeing it as a kid, but I feel like there was a lot of stuff story-wise where it was intense and it was like, you're hoping for them to win. You're hoping for them to surmount these odds. And what I loved about this movie as well, one thing that makes it great is it's not easy for them. Like it's a pretty simple story. Once they get into space, they just have to get back. But there's all these things that happen that make it difficult. It's never easy. There's like everything that can go wrong does go wrong for them. And I think that makes for a nail-biter of a movie. It was. I personally also have the unjustified fear of space. Oh, I don't. I think it's justified. Well, I'm never going to go to space. Like, the movie Gravity. When there's a couple of different shots of her floating into space, it's impossible for her to stop. Yeah. Uh, or, or maybe it was George Clooney even that just floated off into space. Yeah. Uh, into nothingness. Into oblivion. And I, if you, you could ask Lindsay... When we saw that movie in the theater, I was white knuckling on either her leg or on the armrest of that seat in the theater. Or your neighbor's leg. Almost. Uh, The entire movie, I was on the edge of my fucking seat because all the space stuff, just like the amount of shit that can go wrong, and obviously in that movie and this one does go wrong, it was killing me. It was, and, and this movie was giving me flashbacks to that. I was having heart palpitations during some of the climactic moments of this because it took me back to gravity and took me back to those primal fears I have of being, I, I think it maybe is just about being totally out of your control. I feel the vastness of space is very scary. Oh, obviously. The, the fact that if anything happens to your suit, you're dead. Similar to a submarine or stuff that happens within the ocean where we don't know the majority of what's going on in the ocean. And unlike being on land, if something happens that far underwater, you're dead. If something happens out in space, you're dead. Like there's, as you said, it's completely out of your control. And I think that's a legitimate fear. Even if you and I would never be on a submarine or never be on a spaceship, I get it. It's, I guess, a version of agoraphobia. I'm not afraid of going outside and being in the outdoors or anything like that. But the idea of being in the middle of the ocean terrifies me. Like, uh, you know, Castaway or any of those type of movies where you're just on a raft in the middle of nowhere. Uh, There's that uh, Naked and Afraid show. Have you ever heard of that show? I've heard of it. I haven't seen it, though. I've only seen a few episodes, but I definitely watched the one where they're on a raft in the middle of the ocean. And that just like I was I couldn't handle it. I had to turn it off about halfway through. There's nowhere to escape to. Yeah. Is the thing like and you're just you're just floating yeah there's nowhere to go nowhere to turn it's up to you to figure everything out and that's fucking terrifying my other big fear is just i've had enough dreams Mm -hmm. where i have the fear that when i die i'm gonna see that shit coming and i'm gonna see your death coming you mean yeah like being trapped and you, you like that it doesn't just happen and you're dead that you're like you have the anticipation of like oh my god i'm about to die is yeah that your either like yeah you're buried alive and you know you've got x amount of oxygen and you're gonna die or you're in space and you're floating out into oblivion or you're in the middle of the ocean or like you're on a, a highway and there's an accident and like a truck flips over and it's just careening towards you and it's like well here it is yeah here i go nothing i can do again it's lack of control nothing yeah you can do it's, about it. I, I, that sh- really shows my true nature of that i'm just a control freak <laughs> that if i'm gonna die i want to go my own way let's stay with this <laughs> okay, let's talk about your, your family. Uh, <laughs> tell me more about that. Uh, but no, I mean, I know that's a silly fear. But anyhow, it, it touches something primal in me. And yeah. that was what this movie did. Uh, and, and again, I say this with zero irony. Like, yeah. I was it was a fucking nail biter. That's, that's something that uh, they talk about in Save the Cat. It should be primal. The, oh, yeah, that's yeah. true. The, uh, the famed book telling you how to write a movie. Yeah. Um, or how to, I don't know, I guess get a movie off the ground. But it's a good book. I recommend it. 
Like Space Camp must have read it. Space Camp the movie must have read that. They book. must have written the book because we want to talk about how to write a movie. We want to talk about setups and motherfucking payoffs. Uh-huh. We want to talk about Space Camp, my brother. Yes, for sure. Because there's so much in here, and I mean, I called them out as soon as they happened. You like, did. for instance, when <laughs> Leah Thompson is in like the gyroscope type yeah. uh, chair, and she's it's towards the beginning of the movie, and she's flipping around, and she can't steady the chair. Like the whole thing is to try to get it steady within a minute, and she can't do it. I, I literally said out loud, well, we're going to see that later. Yeah. And uh, everybody's got a thing. And and obviously, the early on when they're in their test, in the test cab, trying to figure out how to oh, work yeah. as a team. And uh, basically... The simulator shuttle. Yes, thank you. In the simulator, everybody dies. But it's like the power goes out and they're spinning out of control. Literally all of that happens later in the movie. Yeah. And it's a, it's a little heavy handed, but that's okay. It and, works. Yeah, Exactly. And there are a lot of, like we've said, character things that people that are set up early that they have to overcome. And I just, I mean, man, it's just full of that stuff. Yeah. That was actually in something I read. I don't know if it was on Wikipedia or IMDb. Um, There's not a lot about Space Camp on the web, at least in my limited search. But somebody had pointed out, some critic had pointed out like, oh, they've all got their like one dimensional character flaws and then they overcome them by the end. And that was like a critique of the film. But I thought it was super fun, you know, and maybe this is the 80s kid in me, but I thought it was super fun to see, oh, yeah, that's their thing that they need to overcome is this. And they overcome it by the end of the movie. And guess what, reviewer? Guess what, Roger Ebert? This movie is made for children. So I don't know what you're expecting in terms of all of these kids having, you know, three-dimensional lives and foibles. They're all at space camp. They all have one thing they got to get over. We have, like, six main characters, each of whom has their own thing. So, like... You can't expect, unless you want a three-hour epic, for each of these kids to have some uh, series of problems. Maybe if it was just about Kevin and just his story, and it was more of a singular character piece, then I'd understand that critique. But But it's not. Yeah. It's an ensemble. Exactly. Yeah, judge the movie by the merits of the movie, not by what you wanted this movie to be. Come on. Come on, Roger Ebert. Um, I'm assuming that was Roger Ebert. It may not have been. He definitely did not love the movie. Come on, Pauline Kael. Maybe it was that person. Something I loved from the very beginning about this movie is the absolute awe, respect, and joy that we had for space and for the space program, for shuttles, even though most people didn't understand computers or technology or robotics or, or space itself. Like it was, it wasn't still a new frontier and the space program was, was going very strong. As we mentioned right before this movie came out, there was a space shuttle explosion, which of course, changed the course of all of that. But you can see in movies like this and in movies like even like Superman, which came out a few years earlier, like there's just this awe of space and this reverence of like what's out there, what's beyond this earthly plane, you know? And I just thought that was awesome. And you you could feel that from the very first frame of this movie where there's the, you know, ABC movie logo and then there's (laughs) like all the fonts that they choose are like future fonts space font you know the kind of thing that on a funnier dive video you'd use now to make fun of that sort of feeling but here they were just doing it super legitimately and i loved that i thought it was so fun and it, it just harkens back to sort of i don't know a time when yeah maybe we were less cynical or at least less demonstratively cynical i totally agree with all that you're saying uh when we were watching the movie there's the shot right as the whole team is driving towards the shuttle right before they have their uh, accidental takeoff. They all have that moment of like awe 
of the ship. Yeah. And I, in what is a pretty simple shot of just driving up like a wide shot of the launch pad and of the rocket itself, I, at 37 years old, was like, holy shit, that's fucking cool, man. That's yeah. awesome. And that's something I don't feel really often. It made me feel, I'll tell you what it made me feel, is patriotic. Yeah. Which is something I rarely feel, certainly in this day and age. But at that time, in that moment, I think that, yeah, the space program really did show what humanity is capable of, what we can all do if we do band together and something positive and that feeling of exploration and, uh, yeah, like I said, accomplishment. Like, we fucking reached the stars. We went yeah. to the moon and, like, we've lost sight of that. Yeah. And you you told me when we were watching it, the last shuttle launch was in t- 2011. Yeah, that was the final shuttle launch from what i saw how sad is that yeah and i know it's it's probably a lot to do with politics and the fact that we've been in a war that's been going on since before 2011 and i'm sure all the funds that would have otherwise gone into ship launches probably got diverted to that or whatever whoever's in charge i'm gonna you know be it democrats or republicans they don't put the importance on something like the space program and what that represents. And I think I, I do feel like if there was more importance on that, maybe we as a, a people would, would have some of that earnest appreciation and that awe that we used to have for it. Yeah. And it's well, just it's, a bummer that it's all gone. It is. It is a bummer. It is sad. And that space, that exploration, whether it's deep sea or outer space, which, which I think space is a, is a very exciting. It's the final frontier. It's the final frontier. But that, I mean, that's kind of what I was going to get to is like Star Trek. We're not living in a Star Trek world, you know, like we're, there's not this, this sort of utopia or this, this exploration for exploration's sake of like, what's out there? What can we find out? What can we all as a global community do to like, look beyond our earth? But when there's, money involved or when there's domination involved and like oh we should have a space force because we need to own the skies we need to dominate the world and beyond we need to rule it's like i'm talking about exploration i'm talking about the good of humanity i'm not talking about you can make a profit from doing it you know and that's just shows like what a different place we're in now than we were in yeah. the 80s. And you'd think that back in the 80s, I mean, this is the era of greed is good. That would have been the time that nobody gave a shit, uh, even more so than now. But yeah, it's just, it's diminished over time. And having a peek back at a time when it was still so prevalent in our minds. And, and obviously this movie was made before our optimism in the space program was a little shattered by the Challenger explosion. So it's just like this, uh, man, this just beautiful, bright beacon of hope represented by the space shuttles and it just got me yeah especially just watching this movie and it's a fucking movie made for children essentially you know over 30 years ago and and it still just like struck a chord in my heart i couldn't i couldn't believe it and 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 it terribly made me miss that time and maybe too in terms of movies in every event where they either go into space or when they see the shuttle when they go into space and everybody sees like the earth the the blue marble you know from space uh, or when they drift in the shuttle, everything is just treated with such like amazement and wonder. And movies, I think, in general, don't really have amazement and wonder and awe 
anymore. And that was something that was really fun to revisit because I remember feeling that in movies from the 80s. And also this is, it's kind of fun because this is a movie that takes place or that was that was made uh, a few years after uh, Star Wars. So Star Wars is a big part of uh, like some running jokes and some running gags and stuff. And I mean, I guess at the time, especially how can you not have a movie with a kid and him not be into Star Wars as something that inspires him. But that's definitely a gag throughout the movie. And yeah. and I remember as a kid loving it because I loved Star Wars Absolutely. and I wanted to be a Jedi. And one way that they convince Max to, to stop freaking out is our, our hero, I guess. Kevin actually does the use the force luke like and it works on this kid yeah. he's like oh yeah i'm gonna go use the force and as i brought up i thought it was just cool and interesting to think that this was in 86 is when it came out and so the final chapter of star wars up to that point was only two or maybe three years old yeah it was 84 uh, right is that uh, when 83 jedi? was when oh, was return of the jedi came out so by the time this movie was released it had only been three years how crazy is it that they leaned on that so much uh at that time which is so it was still fresh yeah uh and now it's totally just woven into our culture it is like part of our dna as a species is star wars so it's interesting to go back to a time when it was just still topical like (laughs) exactly (laughs) it was just a movie that came out a couple years ago to them i mean how magical is that alone just the fact that star wars has done all that it's done in the many years after that but it, yeah, that was really fun uh, to see that Star Wars stuff. Also, a huge influence of Star Wars was the droid, who's honestly responsible for all yeah. of this stuff. Uh, so, you know, we haven't really talked about the plot to the movie, and I won't get too into it, but they all go to space camp. Uh, Max, who is the youngest member of our crew, he should be part of the junior space camp, but he's so intelligent and, and so what's passionate. The, and- yeah. He's so passionate and so driven yeah. that he convinces Kate Capshaw to let him stay on the the not junior team, the teenage team, I guess. Maybe we should, sorry to, to interrupt you, but maybe we should sort of set up like who the characters are, who Kate Capshaw is. Like, yeah, what, that's what probably a good idea. Is. So at the very beginning of the movie, there, oh, actually, this is a confession. I'll start with a confession. At the very beginning of the movie, there's a young version of Kate Capshaw's character whose name is Andy, I believe, in the movie. Um, but it shows her as a young girl, and her mom is telling her to come in, that it's about to happen. And Andy just sits outside in her field looking up at the stars. It's nighttime. She's watching the stars go by, and she's like, oh, it's just another wisher. Oh, it's just another wisher. And then she sees this one sustained moving light, and she's like, he winked at me. John Glenn winked at me. And I quoted that line all the time to myself because, as I mentioned, I didn't have a lot of friends who had seen Space Camp. But I did not understand it as a kid. I did not understand what was going on, why her mom was calling her in, how this all played out in the, in the rest of the movie. I had no idea. You just thought this was like a non sequitur? I was like, what is, who is this girl? Is this Leah Thompson's I had no idea what was happening. And it wasn't until I grew up a little bit that I was like, oh, she wanted her to come in and watch it on television. Yeah. And she was looking for the satellite or the, you know, whatever. Like she was, instead of a shooting star, she was looking to see John Glenn. Not satellite, but you, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's my confession. It was not until years. I still loved the hell out of this movie, but yeah. I did had no idea what that oh, there's, opening I mean, scene was. Look, man, as we were kids, there's tons of stuff I didn't get in movies. I still loved them. Yeah. I still adored uh, tons of stand-up comedy that me and my dad would watch and stuff that I would not understand 90% of what was being yeah. said, but I still laughed at it. There's stuff was, in Batman 19. 
1989 that you and I have talked about where like we didn't get where we're where he's like Bruce Vane and we both thought he was doing some sort of like Dracula impression yeah, or yeah. something. Anyway, took so, us some time. So yeah, so that's our establishment of the Kate Capshaw character, Andy, not Annie. Andy. I thought, I thought it was Andy, but I, I think could you're be wrong. right. No, I think you're right. Uh, she's a precocious little girl, and all she wants to do is go to space. Yeah. Uh, the thing that was struck me. Oh, first of all. Sorry to step back just a second. Before sure. this all begins, we start with a glorious ABC Motion Pictures logo. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. It's yeah. so it just needs so to be 80s. seen. It's so like late seventies, early eighties. It looks like the Fortress of Solitude yeah. from uh, the Superman movies. It's wonderful. And then we get a quick before we actually get to young Andy. It almost looks like an ABC Sunday Night at the movies, like TV. Yeah, logo. yeah, that was made in like nineteen seventy three, and they kept using it for <laughs> yeah. a decade too long. And then, but before we get to Andy, we get a couple of shots of like just a starscape and we're, we're pulling back. And this is when I realized the music was done by John Williams and it was just a a wonderful score. Yeah. I mean, it's John Williams. So obviously, but like this score is fucking amazing. I loved it specifically before we get to Andy sitting in her cornfield in Kansas or wherever it's like I said, just starscapes and it's not great graphics. Um, obviously it's very old special effects. Mm-hmm. A lot of the visual effects do not hold up in this movie. I mean, it was in the eighties and it probably was not like the biggest budgeted movie in the world. So I'll let all that slide, but something about the score combined with those visuals really made me feel like I was about to take some sort of ride or do an attraction at Disneyland. Yeah. Like you're sitting or a planetarium or something. The music kind of reminded me of that instrumental right before you go on Soren. Oh, yeah. At either Epcot or Disney's California Adventure. Something about that type of music. Again, it's an earnestness that I think I'm missing in my life. Just just gets me right to my core. Yeah. I, I just mean, really love it. Really, the whole movie is sort of a Disney ride. It's sort of a Star Tours, basically. You are correct. <laughs> they used to have at Disneyland a, a ride called Mission to the Moon. Uh, that was like uh, basically the first like screen ride, I think, oh. where you sat in a big circular theater there was a screen at the bottom and the screen at top and i don't know if the theater even shook or anything like that i don't know if it had any 4d elements but in it you you looked up i remember that now yeah Yeah. if you looked up you could see going through space if you looked down you could see down the porthole at the bottom of like earth receding into the distance yeah i just stood in it right or were there i think there were seats you you may have stood in you may be right but i don't think it was any kind of like like i said no shaking element or anything like that but yeah so this is basically (laughs) <laughs> that ride yeah. turned into a movie which is really great i yeah. think and and yeah i think disney maybe that's why i like disneyland so much it, it's just not drenched with irony which is what yeah. everything is today like we live in such a postmodern world that going to a place where that's all gone and stripped away just really appeals to me and and, and i'm you I know i'm that. not i'm not totally against postmodernism or irony but it just we're getting it from all directions at all times now and saturated with it yeah exactly it's just too much so i love going back to a time and to a place in the case of disneyland that doesn't have that but from meeting our girl andy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we immediately meet her as an adult yeah she's a pilot and she's uh, it's, it's kind of interesting actually because she's a female pilot she's the first female or she wants to be the first female pilot or she is the first female pilot to go up into space she wanted to be she, she didn't get the chance be. she was uh another a guy got the yeah. job over her yeah and that's what i think is so interesting is like they set up this whole thing in the beginning where she's sort of a woman living in a man's world of like she keeps not getting the opportunity to go up because some man and she even says like he gets seasick in the car or something you know she says she makes some 
quip about him where he's not even that great, but he gets to go up and she doesn't. And it seems that this keeps happening. This keeps happening to her. And um, we meet her husband, who is Tom, Tom Skerritt, Skerritt, which I think I also enjoyed because I remembered him from Top Gun, which I also liked as a kid. Um, an alien. An so alien. He's, he's yeah, been in space. An alien. He's been in, he's, if you're going to go to space, you want this guy on your side. Yeah, man. Things didn't go great for him in, while he was in space, though. Uh, yeah, that's true. He Spoiler. Got, he got eated. <laughs> and one of my favorite horror movie shots of all time. The, the shot where the alien does the jazz hands. Oh, yeah. Basically, where his, his uh, flashlight goes over in the tunnel, and it's like, <laughs> It's silly as hell, but every it gets me every effing time. So, yes, we meet her husband, who runs, or doesn't run, but he teaches at Space Camp. I, maybe he does run it. He seems pretty high up there. Yeah, he seems to run a lot of things throughout yeah. this movie. He just takes over mission control when he's yep. there. But he's like, oh, well, since you didn't go up into space, you can come with me to Space Camp. And thus, our movie be really begins. Yes. This really seems like a demotion to her, too. She's pretty bummed out about it. Yeah, she wants nothing to do with these dumb kids. Yeah, stupid kids. Uh, that's when we meet Tate Donovan, who's the quote-unquote rogue of the group. Yeah. Who, uh, little, He's the Han Solo. Yeah, the Han Solo, as Max calls him. Uh, he uh, shows up, and he's just not into it. He just doesn't want to be there. He got convinced by his dad to go Yeah. Uh, by gifting him a Jeep. Yeah. Which is like I really fuck, wanted him to go to space camp. I want that dad <laughs> where he can get me a Jeep and send me to space camp. Are you kidding me? Like that would be amazing. The dad like must really hate him. He's yeah. just like, get out of the house for summer. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Uh and he quickly sees Leah Thompson, who literally flies to space camp on like a propeller plane <laughs> and parks it in front of everybody and hops out like that's just her ride. Very I was going to make the joke that somebody was like taking it as their commuter vehicle. But true enough, there she is getting out of it. Her earrings are literally airplanes. Yeah, it's this like, girl loves flight. She was born to fly. And ironically, she doesn't want to be the pilot. She's above being a pilot, which goes over really well with Kate Capshaw's yep, character, yep. who is a pilot. <laughs> right. And then we have, uh, we meet Max also, who, like we said, is the young kid. He's uh, he's just very, I don't want to call him precocious. That's the wrong word for it. But he's he's Lee Phoenix, a.k.a. Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, he's great in the movie, I thought. he's uh, You yeah. could tell that that kid's got a spark. Like, he looks nothing like he does now, obviously, because he probably was legitimately, like, 10 years old. But he's just, he sells every moment as very real to me. Like, he screams, am I not merciful? <laughs> yes. Out of nowhere. And you're like, you know what? You're going to be great in Gladiator one day. Yeah, yeah. I can't watch Gladiator anymore. Because... After seeing Space Camp? No, not after Space Camp. It has nothing to do with Space Camp. No, when I was... um. This was probably 15 or so years ago. I got pneumonia and bronchitis simultaneously. Yikes. Actually, it happened like two years in a row. You were not entertained. I was not entertained. But when I I would go to lick my wounds at my dad's house and uh, sleeping on his couch, I watched Billy Madison and Gladiator back to back Mm -hmm. just as like something to have on. That's the sickest I've ever been in my life. I literally thought I was going to die. And to this day, if I watch either of those movies, I feel that feeling, that uh, fear that I had then. It's like yikes. they're it's associated with that. Now. Yeah, exactly. So I can't watch Gladiator anymore. It That's makes me makes me feel bad and scared. Yeah, <laughs> then you should avoid it. I, sure. I do, I do. So yeah. So and and now that being I said, I for Christmas. I loved <laughs> I love that. I thought that movie was great when I saw it in the theaters. I was blown away by it. I have another association, which is a friend who uh, I won't name, but he was a little too obsessed with it. Okay. And he's uh he's somebody who lured a man out into the woods and 
beat him up uh, for stealing his girlfriend. But after he did, I guess he did the thing where he like pulls dirt from the ground and like rubs it between his fingers. He did this while he was out. I mean, this what? is legend. I, this may not have actually happened, but he pulled and then the he dirt. Like, ran his fingers through the wheat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, anyway, so I associate that happening with that movie as well, and my my friend supposedly doing that, uh-huh. and I totally buy it. Like he was obsessed with like Scarface. He was obsessed with the Joker. Like all these bad guys. So Maximus should not have fit in with that. But yeah, he he apparently like after beating the guy up with a the business end of a pool cue, he uh, yeah took the dirt in his hand and rubbed it and then walked off and like threw a picture of him, the guy and his girlfriend who was stolen uh-huh. all three of them together. It was very cinematic from Did the sounds of the, it. Like I'm the boyfriend of a stolen girlfriend. Like the I, whole know, like Maxim. <laughs> I, I wouldn't put it past him to be perfectly honest. Uh, he eventually turned himself in and went to jail for like weekends, which I feel like is getting off pretty light for going and beating it. it the guy went to the hospital for like the night and got out immediately. But which is the business end of the pool Because <laughs> I, I, I think the small front the, end is The small end is the business end. The but butt end of the pool the, stick. That yeah, seems like that the, would hurt more the, is the butt. Yeah, uh, the butt is what he had. And uh, yeah, so that all happened. That's true to life. Right. Not, not really. Well, you uh, should not watch Gladiator. <laughs> I'm glad that you don't. <laughs> I won't. Thanks. But uh, so it was hard for me to look at Joaquin Phoenix in this movie. Little little baby Joaquin. Uh, we also had, uh, what was the, Ronnie was his name? Ronnie, yeah, yeah. I loved Ronnie. We find out that he's he loves science, but he's not great at science. And I guess what he overcomes is confidence in himself and maybe just being good at deciphering maps or whatever yeah. it is well diagrams we we get a scene with him early on with him and tate donovan where they're asking well tate donovan's actually asking him why are you in space camp uh ronnie played by uh the african-american guy from revenge of the nerds mm-hmm. so he was clearly a go-to guy for, for this the 80s yeah. 80s nerdy role and he wasn't super nerdy in it but he had this sort of identity crisis which i really liked throughout the movie especially in the scene where he explains that everybody back home is questioning his love for science. Like, why are you signing up for science classes? Why do you want to go to space camp? That's lame. And he's like, nobody bothered to ask me if I like it. And yes, he does like it. Is he good at it? Not especially, but he loves this stuff. He loves to learn. And he initially answers Tate Donovan, which is, what do you want to do in space? He's like, I want to open the first fast food joint in space. And that's sort of like his front. Yeah. And the true answer is I just I love knowledge. I love learning. And I think comedy as a defense mechanism. Exactly. But I loved his this idea that this character is going through like an identity crisis is a probably as honestly as a young black man in the 80s where I'll get into this a little bit later. But uh, where being intelligent is not as valued as it is today, where if you are intelligent, you seek knowledge, you're more a nerd. And obviously that plays into him being in Revenge of the Nerds. But Mm -hmm. It's like, I think back then it was more physical prowess and material wealth is what got you over in the world, whereas now it is a little bit being uh, more intelligent, being smarter and quicker. But uh, Well, and he does a voice. like he, When he talks about the people that are making fun of him for uh, being interested in science and stuff, he's like, yo, Rudy, man, why are you into science, man? Yeah. Why are you into science? So he, clearly it is a thing of like, yeah, you're not cool. You're not tough. Like you need to, you need to put on a certain amount of like being tough and that's just not him. That's just not who he is. He just wants to learn. I, maybe I identified a little bit with that from being, uh, growing up even in South Georgia and not that I got pressured into it a lot or anything, but like 
to like things like football or guns or hunting, like stuff I was never into. And I was more interested in artistic endeavors and creativity. And I think at least at the time where I was in my really formative years and my early teens and mid teens, that was not smiled on. Honestly, mm-hmm. that was kind of uh, shunned. And so I feel like I identified with that in, in uh, Ronnie. Yeah. And I thought that was uh, really cool. There's a lot of interesting things that they sort of touch upon in this movie that they're not super overt, but they're there like that, like the idea of what is in a sense, like what is masculinity, what is expected of you versus what do you actually care about? They talk about Kevin being somebody who puts on this front of like, he doesn't care that he's like, Oh no, nothing matters to me. It's all bullshit. You know, blah, blah. You should, uh, I, I wrote it down. I can't remember now, but he's like, he's like, my philosophy is like, drive fast live hard and don't give a shit about yeah, anything his uh yeah uh i think it was like wake up at noon drive fast and don't give a shit yeah that's roughly what he said yeah and and it's like later leah thompson calls him out on like no that's just you trying too hard to seem like you're that guy like really you're afraid you're afraid of failing you're afraid of taking a chance you're afraid of putting yourself out there you know so these different characters have these things that are sort of like what society expects or what they think society expects versus who they are. Even Kelly Preston's character, who we haven't gotten to yet. Oh, I just blanked on her name. Yeah, I, I don't know. But yeah. I was very surprised by that character and I loved her. Yeah, and that's the thing too, is like they play with this type or this stereotype of like, oh, she's the airhead ditzy girl who's like super hippy dippy and you don't expect much from that character. You're like, oh, I know that character. But then it turns out like she's incredibly smart She's got a photographic memory. Anything she reads, she remembers. And she cares about the other members of her crew. Like, there was just a lot more to her character. And I liked that. I really liked that they did that. That it was, like, you can't judge her based just on the fact that she shows up with, like, kind of, you know, all this eyeshadow and all this these bracelets and stuff. Like, right away, you can judge her. But there's more to her as a person than what you see on the surface. Yeah, absolutely. And, that yeah, that runs through everything that runs through Kate Capshaw's character where people may see a woman, but really she's just as capable as anybody else Mm -hmm. uh, through Kevin and Tish is her name. Tish. That's right. Uh, I had to look it up, but yeah, Tish is a great example of like, don't judge a book by its cover, but even Max is the same way. Max is a little kid, but don't underestimate him. He's, just as good as any of these other kids and, yeah. and Ronnie. And it was just, it's a great theme that runs through all the characters, which actually makes them richer than the one dimension that Roger Ebert, I believe, uh, yeah. made them out to be. Uh, sure, they maybe only have one uh, distinct character goal to overcome during uh-huh. this movie, other than the group goal of survival. But their character goals may be singular, but I think that there's a lot more going on. And honestly, just all these kids felt real. Uh, even Catherine, Leah Thompson's character, just she also having an identity crisis of what she wants to be, which is something more than just a pilot, I guess because being a pilot is ingrained in her and and that's just such a part of her life that she wants to do something else and has to overcome that. And, and, and at the end of the day, she becomes the pilot and she, and she yeah. saves them all by being a good pilot. By embracing that. And I mean, and she has a thing when they're all stuck in space where she gets put in the role of shuttle commander because Kevin is not as he hasn't taken anything as seriously and he's doesn't know where something is immediately when Andy asks him to do something. So she's like, all right, get out of that seat. Catherine, get in the shuttle commander seat. Basically your shuttle. Commander you are now. the captain. Now you are the captain now. And she excels at first. She does a great job, but then there's something towards the end where she has to make a decision that will 
either endanger all of them yet save one person's life or they all go home and that will certainly kill somebody. And she just freezes. She doesn't, she's not sure what to do. And Tate Donovan, Kevin jumps in and makes the decision for her. And he says, I never freeze. Thereby, (laughs) thereby sort of earning his place as shuttle commander because he had to make that big hard choice, something he couldn't do in the simulator. Yes. And so he rises above and, and is able to overcome, but she freezes. And so she realizes she's not meant to be shuttle commander. And her, she says that her mom always told her, look, being the boss and being bossy are two different things. And she eventually kind of embraces her role as pilot and good thing she does because she ends up saving them all on reentry. It's great. Everything about this movie is great. However, there's one member of this team that we have not touched on yet. Oh, a very that? important cast member. Who's that? And that is Jinx. Jinx. Yes. The little robot droid man <laughs> yes. called Jinx, uh-huh. the uh, $28 million assistant, as they call him. He's a little, he's kind of a proto BB-8 in a lot of ways. Yeah. He's he's a big globe. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's he got some wheels that come out. That, and some arms. And some extend. arms. Very R2-D2 inspired. He even has uh, the little head that comes out of the top that mm-hmm. can look around that has implied eyes. It's sort of his eyes kind of look like Bubo from Clash of the Titans. He was a robotic owl. Yes. From the original Clash of the Titans. Mm-hmm. Uh, forged by Hephaestus himself. <laughs> oh, great. Um, anyway, he's he's a little robotic owl, and his eyes are very similar to Jinx's eyes. And like all robots, makes all those little boop beep right. noises. A lot of little twinkling lights on him and stuff. Yeah. But he becomes friends with Max. Max uh, actually steals him. Which this is the biggest part of the movie that I'm like, really? They just let Max, they just let this $20 million piece of equipment who is essentially sentient AI just roam around and then a kid can steal him. And then not only that, but he gets busted at some point. A bunch of guys ask him, he gets crowded in like the male dormitory and a bunch of guys are like asking him to do things and it overloads his circuit. So he breaks down. And fucking Max fixes him. Yeah, he, he like Tony Stark's that thing. Absolutely. And I think even improves upon him because before he was a little bit more simple, uh, like his speech was a little bit more simple. Uh, this is Jinx, I mean. Uh, uh-huh. Jinx's yeah. speech was a little bit more simple and straightforward. And, and he becomes a little bit more colloquial uh, sure. after Max has had his way with him. So Whoa. they become <laughs> had his mechanically. So they become friends, best friends. Yeah. The original BFFs, really. Yeah friends forever so he can talk he can just they let him just roam around even though that machine could kill us all probably and he is eventually the one where max has a rough night and says he wishes he was in space yeah well they set up that jinx takes everything literally like from the very first time that you meet jinx they do call him a like 28 million dollar maintenance droid or whatever they call him and they everybody treats him like he's garbage like they're like oh he's like a malfunctioned thing his circuits are always acting weird he can't go up into space so he just kind of does maintenance duties around this space camp and somewhere else i can't remember where this at jfk or something and they all discard him even though he's worth at least 28 million dollars and everybody acts like he's not sentient like everybody's just like ah, that's just what robots do yeah. but he starts making choices and falls in platonic love with this kid and yeah. he's like guys this is what you should be focusing on is this 
robot has achieved sentience. You've done it. You've done it. You've achieved the singularity. This joke. This robot makes fucking jokes. He's like joking around and saying yo and shit to Max. Like he wasn't programmed to do that. He's a learning computer, and he has figured it out. He has figured out how to live his own life, and that's fucking amazing yeah and why aren't we focusing on that why isn't that the movie yeah. i mean it'd probably be a horror movie so probably not <laughs> quite as attuned for kids but man like the dark version of this like a child's play but that robot yeah. is really the one killing everybody like what if the tight. robot well we'll get to what the robot does but what if he did that on purpose to try and kill them all oh my god yeah that would be amazing and then the rest of the movie is him like hunting tom scarrett or tom <laughs> scarrett trying to get revenge and then eventually tom scarrett ends up in like you know some sort of tunnel like a a maintenance shaft or something like that and he turns, turns his flashlight. flashlight over and then the and then Jinx does jazz hands and murders him the end and and Tom Scarrett's like oh no not again <laughs> yeah different different actor <laughs> but yes i'm glad we could get a spaceballs reference on this <laughs> podcast finally um but what do you think of Jinx like what are your opinions on Jinx cuz if I, I had to be honest it's one of my least favorite aspects of the movie I enjoy, I mean I think as an adult it, it's like oh that doesn't work but I remember as a kid really loving Jinx like I know you didn't see this movie as a kid and you're like I don't know if I would have liked him as a kid I definitely really enjoyed Jinx when I was a little kid because everybody wants every kid and he makes friends with the youngest member of this crew I, I like this movie because it's a lot of like just teens being teens but then there's Max who's the youngest one there who was probably the age that I was when I saw this movie and that he makes friends with a robot was super fun. Everybody loves Short Circuit, Johnny Five. Everybody loves. Oh, I was obsessed with Johnny Five. Everybody loves like in Flight of the Navigator. There's like that little creature that hangs out on his shoulder. It's not a robot, but you know everybody loves like a little fun a cute robot creature. Sidekick. Yeah, that's just like your friend and nobody else is and gets you when nobody else gets you. So I remember as a kid really liking Jinx, thinking he was fun and funny. I probably would have liked him, in all honesty, when I was a kid, because I was just obsessed with robots generally. Transformers, Johnny Five, the GoBots, whoever you put in front of me, I loved them. Polly's Robot and Rocky Four. Yeah, I loved <laughs> Actually, I did want one of those really badly. Oh, what was <laughs> Happy the name? birthday, Polly. What was the name of the robot that uh, that was part of the Nintendo that could like spin discs or whatever? I forget what his name was. Her- it may have been, I want to say it was Herbie. But I think I'm also thinking of Herbie, the robot that replaced the Human Torch in the Fantastic Four cartoon back oh. in the day. But Did there... you ever have Alfie? Alfie? Alfie was a little robot that you would like put cards in his chest. It was like a learning tool for kids, I think. But his like, face would light up. He'd tell you like, a, B, C. It was a really... You didn't have Alfie, apparently, because you're giving me the blank stare. No, I'm but... totally giving you a blank stare. <laughs> and I'm also... I, I realized the name of the Nintendo robot was Rob. It oh, stood Rob. for something. Robotic. It wasn't Ronnie? No, it wasn't Ronnie. Nor was Ronnie Ronnie. Ronnie was Rudy. Oh, Ronnie was Rudy. Yes, which I realize now looking through this. Uh, but he no. was five foot nothing, a hundred nothing. <laughs> exactly. So no, tell me more about this Alfie. I don't know. It was just this little, it was like an ivory colored, or maybe it was supposed to be white and mine was dirty. But it was just a, <laughs> <laughs> it was a little oh. ro- stationary robot. Yeah, I do remember Alfie now that I'm looking at him. And he made the expressions with his little screen. Yes, that's right. Yeah, his face would light up. Now, yep. I had to look him, him up. Yes, I I don't think I ever had Alfie, but that shit was dope. I would have been into that. Anyway, robots I, are cool. Robots are cool, man. I could talk about robots for forever. Oh, that's why what? I love animatronics so much. They're robots with skin. Even as an adult watching this movie again, some of my favorite moments were with Jinx. One of them was after he gets the idea to help Max and 
he's going to send him to space because Max says, I wish I were in space as he's crying because for whatever reason, Tate Donovan just screamed his head off about this it's because poor kid. Max, well, technically Jinx ratted out. Jinx is the one that blew it. Kevin and uh, what's her name? And Leah Thompson, they were on a date. They were making Catherine. out. Catherine, thank you. They're looking at the shuttle. Another moment of awe of the space program. They're getting to know each other as real humans. She sees past all his bullshit and he sees into her heart and she turns around on him quick and they're making out but it gets interrupted by kate capshaw and uh tom scarrett they get in trouble so he gets pissed off at max yells at him and max says i wish i were in space he's like i'm not on solo you're not luke skywalker you're just an ordinary kid and i said he's just an ordinary kid that fixed a highly sophisticated four million dollar robot yeah He's not an ordinary kid. He's way smarter than you, bro. Yeah. And later, and later he says, don't you have an AQ of 180 or something? Yeah. So that's not just any ordinary yeah. kid. Come on, Tate Donovan. Come on, Tate. Go to a dentist. Yeah, sorry to sorry to bring that up, but there were a couple of shots in it. And Tate Donovan's always had weird teeth to me. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know what it is about them. The way they, they always look like they have a blue tint to them. Like, he's a good-looking man. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to take that away from the guy. But, but blue just, teeth is where you draw the line. <laughs> that is where I draw the line. But he's always had weird teeth to me. I think they're better than they were in this movie. But mm. in this movie, there are a couple of shots where I was like, dude, your teeth look rough. Like, dark edges around the teeth. Real real gum problems. Not made at. for HD. No, definitely not. Though, I don't even know if what we were watching was technically HD. We I were watching it on it YouTube. Yeah. yeah. 480p at best. Yeah. Tate Donovan's teeth aside, I think he did a pretty good job in this movie. His teeth, zero stars. <laughs> you don't have a reason why they're great. <laughs> no, no I, can, I can't defend those. I'm, don't look for an episode of us just talking about Tate Donovan's teeth. What were we talking about? Oh, oh yeah, we so were, they get interrupted. They go into, yeah. Um, and he blows up at Max, and Max cries, because he's a kid after all. And he runs off. He thinks by himself. And is just crying into his palm saying, I wish I were in space. I wish I were in space. And so Jinx overhears this because he's a little stalker robot watching Max. And he's like, must send Max to space. And then like one of my favorite shots is when he actually goes into all those old school computers. And he does the thing where his like head extends, all the lights turn on inside his body and in his neck and his face. And I just think that's a beautiful shot. And all the other computers in this room start lighting up and going off and like he's communicating with them, trying to get trying to figure out a way to send Max actually to space. But I just think that shot, and maybe it's also with that John Williams score, I, I was just like, wow, that is really beautiful. I when I watched that shot in the movie, and I'm not a big fan of Jinx at this point. Sure. I legitimately was like, did Spielberg in his prime shoot this shot. It <laughs> yeah. was phenomenal. And yeah. it's a wonder where, yes, it's a bright light outside. The door swings open. We're supposed to think that Jinx opened the door with his arms. It's He uses the force. <laughs> yeah. He does it several times during the movie where the where the uh, doors open for him. But he, he comes they in. They don't want to mess up that robot. It's $24 million. Yeah, absolutely. So he wheels in, comes into this room. It's The room's dark. The, yeah. All the computers are off. He comes in. It, it ends in a close-up shot of those two weird eyes. Yeah. His little robot eyes. Oh, you're setting the scene. Oh, yeah. He lifts his little head up, but then all of a sudden, it lifts up a little bit more to something we haven't seen before, a disc-shaped light show mm-hmm. underneath. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, lights start rotating under his head. They're rotating faster and faster. Yeah. It looks like something right out of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Damn straight. And 
God damn it, if not every computer in that room lights up, starts whirring, starts going to town, and it's fucking beautiful. It's a symphony of light and sound. Oh, yeah. It's excellent. No shit. <laughs> My favorite shot of the movie. Yeah, for sure. It is a great shot. And it's all accomplished in essentially, a, I think maybe there are eventually a couple of inserts of computers turning on. Sure. But essentially a one And I loved when he did raise his head a little bit extra and we had the glowy thing underneath yeah. uh, in, I guess, what, 1980s Wi-Fi, essentially. <laughs> yeah. I was truly impressed with how that looked. I thought that looked really neat. That's actually what kind of made me like Jinx better was from a design element that this thing was hidden from us before and then yeah. all of a sudden he has this essentially superpower this robot superpower to communicate with all these other computers it was just really cool yeah it was awesome he eventually does have a an arm that has like an old school like interface like oh, that you yeah. can plug in like it would like be the a printer plug that yeah, we exactly or like a monitor plug it would definitely be a usb or like a lightning or whatever yeah. now but uh, back then it was that printer plug and it was cheesy because it's a robot talking to a computer and both of their voices are kind of dumb. Jinx sounds like Bill Hader pitched up to me for some reason. And Bill Hader just has a funny voice uh-huh. to me. Uh, and then the computer sounds like Bill Hader pitched down. <laughs> like the computer is like you gave him some uh, some like, I don't know, laughing gas or some sort of something. So he's like about to pass out. And that's the way the computer sounds. But they d- devise a plan. It's probably the same person's voice. Oh, yeah, they absolutely. Just pitched up and pitched it's, down. it's Bill Hader. I don't know how old he was in 1986, but probably was him. It's his first job at introducing Bill Hader as all robot voices. <laughs> yep. But they concoct a plan to get Max into space. They have to, uh, I don't know, something with There's the There's some booster. sort of science bullshit, but you suffice gotta, it to say, they make it into space. It, it, the way that they justify it is when something goes wrong, there's this malfunction. One of the booster engines ignites, but the other one won't. And they can't stop the first one from igniting. So if they don't initiate both rockets, it will just sort of explode. Like it'll flop over on itself. It will pull a challenger Ooh. oh yeah so they decide to initiate both rockets to that's the only way to keep them alive is by actually launching them into space and this is they set up that this is the first time that they're ever allowing students from space camp to sit in the shuttle Which, while they while they just sort of test the rockets. while they were testing the engines on the shuttle itself and I was like, as they were showing footage of the actual test, which there's a lot of like what seems like probably footage that NASA shot of their different tests and things incorporated into this as if yeah. this from it was shot specifically from, from the for the film. But I, as that was going and it looked intense, I was like, would they actually ever put children on this thing? Probably not, no, right? It's too much of a liability. There. Yeah, way too much. Anything of a liability. can go wrong. But it's the 80s, bro. Yeah, man. I mean, look, I'm not, again, I'm, it's a fucking movie, so shit had to happen. But I was like, man, if I were those kids, I know they all want to go to space. They're at space camp. I would be terrified to get on that thing. Yeah, I would be scared, too. I probably would have peed my pants. I absolutely, especially when it actually takes off. And, like, Catherine's just, like, floating around. Just well, she's like, pinned because of the G-force, but she's yeah. not strapped in. So she's just being crushed against the back of that. Yeah, so. it's a kind of a miracle she survives. Yeah. Like, I think the hit that she takes falling during the G-force, way worse than what Kate Capshaw gets later. <laughs> from the oxygen tank? Yeah, from the oxygen tank. But yeah. then it's like, oh, they broke her arm and broke her, her ribs, ribs and yeah. all this stuff. She's incapacitated. But, you know, Catherine's young. And, uh, yeah, she bounced she maybe, back. She went limp, you know, and she was just like, she was fine. You know what? They probably landed on Earth and she was like internally bleeding and she died shortly after 
that's so, that's nobody probably realized. why there's like very little denouement for this movie. They like kind of land, and that's the last shot, and that's the end of the movie. That's why she couldn't make that crucial decision at one point, is because she was already like dying. Inside. She had lost so much blood internally that yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just she was couldn't she couldn't think straight. She wasn't functioning at full capacity. Yeah, yeah. But but I do love that they go out into space, and like you said, there is that scene of them floating and a bunch of kids reacting to floating in space, and the awe. Yeah. That it inspires and the awe of looking out the window and seeing the blue marble, as you put it. Yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah. I love the way they handled that. I mean, that sort of spectacle of just teenage kids ending up in space and putting yourself as either a teen or or younger, usually younger, wishing you were a high schooler or whatever, you know, in a movie like this. I love the way they did that. And I, I absolutely was just like, you can put yourself in that situation. Like, wow, that would be so amazing. Yeah. How incredible would that be? And now we're all going to (laughs) die. Yeah. And that actually settles in pretty quickly of like, oh, fuck, we are definitely screwed. Yeah. But I loved even the effect of everybody floating around. As you pointed out, their hair didn't react to the gravity that uh, the lack of gravity. Yeah. uh, Which I think we would probably hit it for that today. But it was just the the, I think the reality of the joy of the characters, how much they were all enjoying this, like totally made me forget about that aspect. Absolutely. They were just having fun. And it did. it, It does feel like. Absolutely, today you would not get away with it. There, there'd be like every detail would need to be a hundred percent accurate, and like they would have to go up and do that thing where you, you go up to the top of the uh, stratosphere yeah. or whatever, and then come back down, and and you're in zero, zero G's for a minute. But back then in the eighties, they were just like, uh, I don't know, things were things were simpler then. Yeah, and them experiencing it joyfully was enough. Like yeah. them just sort of pretending to float in slow motion and stuff it was like, yeah. Like, that just looks fun. There, it looks like they're having fun, and I think that's enough to carry that scene. And honestly, from a technical aspect, uh, about half of this movie takes place in zero-G in space. They do a lot of stuff. Once or twice, you'll be able to see a, a, a wire that's holding them up. Uh, one scene in particular, they're lowering Cape Capshaw into the tube, and it's like, there it is, right there. There's yeah. the wire hanging her, hanging her up. But I was going to say, a shot. from a technical perspective, like, how cool is it that they went there and they made a movie where so much of it is in zero G's. And like, I got to imagine that was a nightmare. So I just think it's cool that they not only did it, but committed to it. And they were, and they did for sure. They, yeah. And a lot of it really worked. Like there was stuff where I was like, I buy it. There was a few times where I was like, did they just continuously do the stratosphere thing? You know, where they are and legitimately in zero G's, but yeah, I think it was all wire work, all yeah. like early days wire work. It was and impressive. Yeah, I think it really worked. A lot of it was great. It felt like also, it felt like the camera was weightless a lot of times, yeah. which I really thought was cool. Yeah. It, it just like it drifted in a neat way, in a very like organic way. It didn't feel too artful in a couple of shots. It almost felt like you could, whereas most movies you can't feel the cameraman or you mm-hmm. can't feel the placement. Uh, this movie was one where it almost felt like a documentary where you could tell, like, as the camera was moving, there was a man floating around yeah. holding the camera, which I think was kind of neat. Kind of yeah. puts you in the perspective of the kids. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. It's really cool. Uh, can I talk about my other favorite moment from this movie? Shit, yeah. Uh, because it is also a jinx moment. Um, Ugh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so the whole time that they're up in space, uh, or almost the whole time, at, at least 10 of the 12 hours, Tish, yeah, Tish, is doing morse code because she's super smart she thinks of it she's like they they can't communicate with ground control because they only had shortwave radios there's a lot of limitations to the shuttle because they didn't expect it to take off it was just a test so they don't have oxygen there's all these problems they run into but one of them is they can't communicate with earth 
Houston, they have a problem and they can't talk about it. But Tish figures out like, oh, well, we can do Morse code. And she starts doing it and nobody's paying attention to the control panel that is flashing for Yeah, this little hours. red light that keeps going on for hours. And I'm like, at first I was like, oh, where's George? I just created this character in my mind. Tom. George. <laughs> yeah. Uh, George was supposed to be there. George had to take a shit at first, but apparently things got bad and George had to leave early. Like maybe his kid got into a fight at school. Probably. And he's like, I know that there are six lives in space and they may all die, but... My fucking kid just punched a little girl. Like, I I gotta go. And so, since George wasn't at his post, they just missed it. Yeah. But Jinx, who... I don't know what he's doing for most of those 12 hours. He's trying to figure out a way to get Max back. I think because they do cut to him a lot of talking to the computers of like, we have to get Max back, we have to get Max back. Once he realizes that he's going to die in space, he starts trying to figure out a way to get Max back. I don't know that he necessarily comes up with one. But anyway, he shows back up at the ground control and Tom Skerritt is there. Tom Skerritt. And they're, as we said, as we established, they're very dismissive of Jinx because they just think he's some malfunctioning robot. And I like that they've set that up, actually, because there's a payoff coming. So Jinx shows up. He notices... He's like, he's like, want to help Max or whatever. He's like, I, oh yeah, he confesses that he sent Max into space and that he wants to get him back. And Tom Skerritt at least gives him a little time to talk. And he's like, what's going on, Jinx? What are you talking about, buddy? Whereas John Locke is completely dismissive of of Jinx. I forgot that there was a John Locke cameo in this movie. Yeah, and by cameo, you mean a full part. And yeah. somehow Terry O'Quinn looks older in 1986 than he did in 2000, what, four? When, when Lost came out? Yeah, uh, 2000 or 2005 oh god was it that late something like that whenever it was it was at least 20 years later yeah he looked older in this movie because he still had some hair but not a lot he looked rough he's smoking the whole time he was going through a rough time for sure (laughs) yeah but continue what you're saying about jinx so jinx shows up and he notices the blinking light and tom scott's like how are you gonna help us jinx how are you gonna help us and jinx starts just going c-o-m-e-i-n-g-n-g-n and and uh Locke figures, ah, he's malfunctioning again. Get this guy out of here. And they two security guards show up and start dragging. <laughs> two legit, like, mall cops. <laughs> start dragging Jinx away. They pick Let's him up. Haul this guy off. <laughs> like, put, him in the, put him in the drunk tank. Get this let him sleep it off. Hunk of junk in the drunk tank. Uh, and they start carrying him away, but he keeps talking. And they cut back. I love the way that scene is shot. Because they keep yeah, cutting back really and cool. forth between Tom Skerritt looking at him like the wheels turning in his own head. He looks over to the blinking light, and Jinx is again repeating C O M E I N C O N T, and he's like, "Huh?" and and then Jinx like puts out those little robot limbs. <laughs> that was kind of comedic. Into like, the like door frame. The door frame. And he, like he will not leave. I will not be moved, sirs. And he goes, C O M E, come in control. And Tom Skerritt, like, puts it all together and is like, Moose Code! And he looks at the dot and he's like, where the fuck is George? <laughs> George, goddammit. That, that's, my, that's my part that I added. <laughs> um, yeah, and they completely gloss over the fact that since this robot sent his friend into space, that, that this robot has made a distinct choice <laughs> for its own for its own reasons and its own well-being i guess so yeah. they they gotta really look at that i think that's they have gonna, to look into this to him a little bit yeah that's gonna dawn on tom scarrett later and down the like at later that night he's gonna be like going to bed and be like oh fuck <laughs> jinx is sentient 
Yeah, that was a cool. And you're but totally isn't that right. a cool it's, scene? It's like, a super cool scene, I, and it was shot really well. And uh, the so dramatic. Like, it's very dramatic. It's very tense. And I I remember that scene as a kid. But even just watching it now as an adult, I was just like, man, that was a really well done, well crafted scene. Like it had the tension the entire time and you're so in into it of like guys please figure it out he's trying to help you i anyway i just i love that scene that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie yeah it was great and it honestly redeemed jinx in my eyes because i thought uh what else could this character possibly add to the story and yeah he pulled one out he saved the day essentially because then uh nasa was able to figure out that they could uh flip on and on the lights in the ship to communicate back and luckily tish knows morse code as we've discussed so her uh, photographic memory really comes into play there. Director Harry Weiner just did an awesome job with this movie all around. And yeah. sadly, looking through his IMDb, it's kind of like the only like movie he's done. That's too bad. I wonder if it's because this movie flops so hard. I, I, probably so. I mean, he was a working director, did a shitload of TV, just all just ran the gamut on TV all the way into the pretty recent times. Like I think 2010 may have been his last credit, but. By then, he may have been getting a little bit up in the years, so and uh, you know, got to retire at some point, and just uh, he decided to retire as champion. Maybe yeah. he realized that he is not a shuttle commander; he's actually a pilot. Do you think that maybe Harry went to space camp after he finished his filmmaking career? Did you think he went yes. to Huntsville, Alabama, and? Got in that little zero-G chair. Yeah, where much of this was filmed, actually, at Space Camp. Yeah, which is pretty neat to me. They probably had, like, some space shuttle that they used for, kind of, like, for simulations and stuff. Yeah. That they probably used to film all the inside of the shuttle. Because there is green screen outside, and that's one thing I will say, is the VFX got very lazy by the end. (laughs) And some of the matting on their heads with these, like, tiny little windows outside is horrible constantly shifting like uh rudy at one point like his head looks like like lumps are forming almost like at the the scene in the incredible hulk when the leader's head is pulsating or yeah. when stern's head is pulsating it looks like nice that. call back to last episode yeah baby go back and listen <laughs> to that and you'll know what i'm talking about but yeah it's just like and kelly preston's hair which is very curly and big also just looks very janky yeah. up against the window so the matting is terrible uh, also, but only yeah, but only for some shots toward the end. Yeah, there's other times when it looks great. Yeah, there's like shots when the when the shuttle itself is flying through space. Maybe it's because you can't see the mat lines because it's mostly in black. Yeah, but um, yeah, that stuff looked great. Uh, there's one shot of Leah Thompson floating early in the zero G sequence where Leah Thompson's floating and it's a very bad green screen effect yeah. uh, where she's floating in front of everybody. But yeah, some of the visual effects are not great, but I'm not going to let those detract from the great time I had. Yeah. Once they get to space, just shit is hitting the fan. They're out of oxygen. Nothing was prepared for the shuttle. So they're screwed. Yeah. And these kids have to band together and learn to be a team. Kate learn Capture. to pee in space, learn to pee in space with a little suction machine that uh, I think that day Max became a man. <laughs> Max, you've been in there for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Just need a couple extra minutes. So eventually, yeah, they have to go find an under construction space station to go get oxygen tanks so they don't die. Yeah. And I was like really on the edge of my seat when their oxygen ran out and Kate Capshaw is still just like fucking around in space and like she flies off. I'm like, Oh my God, can we just figure this out? Like I was, I'm still like anxious and have high blood pressure thinking about it now. (laughs) They did a really good job for maintaining tension in this movie. Like you really feel the stakes 
of the characters in this movie. I think they did a terrific job. And this is when they have to send Max out, the youngest member of the crew, because he's the only one small enough to fit through the scaffolding to get to the oxygen tanks. And I'm just like pulling my hair out. Like you're sending a 10 year old into open space. Like he's going to die. And the suit's too big because they only have normal size suits. So they wrap a belt around it to try and tighten it on his little body. Yeah. Which I'm like, ah, that just looks like, a disaster waiting to happen. Tell me about it, but man. That makes for a compelling movie. Yeah. And there's one point where he uh trying to wrestle one of the containers free, flies off and does the thing that I'm so freaked out about, just drifts off into space. Yeah. Had Cape Capshaw not had the little space chair, her little Thanos slash Modoc chair to fly off and capture him. Her George Clooney chair. Like he would have just flown into the moon because he was. Well, had, yeah, he would he have had, landed on the moon. Yeah, and then he would have just had to kick off of the moon, mm-hmm. and that would have sent him back to the shuttle. I right. think that's how science works. Because the moon has no gravity. Yeah, so he would have just hit a crater, said hello to the man on the moon. Yep, and the man on the moon would have given him a little push, and he would have ended up back on the shuttle. And a thumbs up. And a, yeah, and a thumbs up. And like, good job, Max. And then and then Max would have just flown straight through the atmosphere. Yeah, back to Earth. Back to Earth. Yeah, that's what they all should have done. Yeah. He's just gone, just individually jumped over to the moon. Yeah. And then projected off, said hi, of course, said hi to the man on the moon. You don't want of to be course. rude. Nope. And then just landed on Earth. That, that's what they should have all done, yeah. yeah. Could have been so much more simple for the them. 80s. They didn't think about it. But Oh, but one of my favorite moments, too, we kind of touched on it, but right before the whole use the force, Luke, like they send this little child out into the vast darkness of space. And he freaks out. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I, I love that they let him freak out. Like he goes he goes out there and he's like, this is great. This is great. And then he looks over the side of the shuttle because he clasps onto the little railing on the side and he looks over at like the vastness of space that's just black. And then there was kind of a, a bad looking little like nebula or something yeah. there. And he's like, oh no, and freaks out. And you see him pop up at the window of the shuttle. <laughs> and he's like, let me in. I don't want to do it anymore. But I love that they let him be a little kid of like, yeah, he's freaking out. Yeah, you sent a 10-year-old into space. Yeah, man. I think this may be right after, right before they start floating around in zero Gs. But they all stop for a second to catch their breath. And the first thing that Max says is, I want to go home. Yeah, that was also a great Which moment. Which I thought that was really a truthful moment for who that kid probably is yeah and all he wanted up to this point was to be in space and so i thought that was actually wuss no i agree (laughs) i agree that was a really nice moment it was because everybody's wrapped up in how amazing it is out here and and yeah that's right when it's about to set in of like we're screwed out here guys but that max is the first one to say anything and it's basically the equivalent of like I want to go back to my mom. You know, like, it's just that, like, I want to go home. Like, this is not what I wanted. Yeah. That was a great moment. We have, uh, eventually, he and Kate Capshaw get back with the oxygen tanks. We get uh, Rudy's moment in the sun where all he's looking at is the schematic. They're low on oxygen. He, everyone's about to pass out or die. And it's between him and uh, Catherine, yeah. uh, Leah Thompson, trying to figure out, what uh, connection to put this oxygen in because either it's everyone gets to breathe or everybody explodes and dies instantly. Yeah. So Because it's pure oxygen. Pure oxygen. So nobody quite trusts Rudy because earlier in the movie, during their original test, he's the one that kind of screws up and can't figure out how to get it right. And Catherine is being very alpha and very like, I know what's right. You know, the tube next to the red one, 
and and Rudy's very sure that it's the yellow one. They eventually follow Rudy, and he saves the day. And mm-hmm. I love that. Catherine messes up twice, I guess, as shuttle commander. She does, but it's cool to have this powerful, uh, like I said, alpha character find some humility throughout this movie and find out that she's not perfect either. Absolutely. And uh, and learning that humility is probably what will make her a shuttle commander one day. Yeah. And you talked actually about a uh, Captain Marvel moment where it was pretty cool seeing Kate Capshaw in the pilot seat and she got Catherine to be the the commander. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, it was like ladies running this shit. And I believe Tisha even like floated up between them and was like, all right, what do we do? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, these these girls got it. That was cool. It was a cool female power moment. And from early on, Kate Capshaw is kind of tough on Catherine. And I'm sure they get off on the wrong foot because Catherine thinks being a shuttle commander is more important than being a pilot. And Kate Capshaw is a pilot. But she ends up confessing, uh, Kate Capshaw ends up confessing to uh, Leia Thompson's character that, like, you're special. From the moment I met you, I saw in your eyes, there's something special. You're going to do it. You're going to go up to space. And so she tries to take her under her wing in a way and and prepare her in the best way that she can and as a woman who's faced all of these things she's like look you're gonna need to be better than the best because these basically these men in this man's world will find any reason to not let you do this so you need to be dotting all your i's crossing all your t's and since kate capshaw has been through it she knows what's in store for Catherine and all the obstacles that she will face as a woman in this industry so she tries to in her way tries to help prepare her for that and so then to see them both in space they both get to actually go up and be in space and realize one of their dreams sitting together because they're the two that can handle this situation was pretty awesome and is a pretty cool precursor to captain marvel uh, movie that recently came out. Yeah, absolutely. So Andy, Kate Copshaw's character, they get the first oxygen tank in, no problem. Good job, Rudy. You did it. And then she's like, okay, go ahead and go inside, Max. And she goes to do the second one, and something happens with the connection, the valve connection, and the oxygen tank sends her careening into a wall. It like starts spewing oxygen, and of course she's in zero g's so that momentum sends her crashing into a wall and basically knocks her out so she starts yeah. kind of spiraling out once into again space. giving me heartburn it's floating out into space into nothingness and who's left to get her fucking max little 10 year old but he's holding on to the little the tether, table yeah, yeah the tether that she had that kept her inside and he's trying to pull her in but by this time ground control has taken over and they're autopiloting this thing back. So they're they're shutting the cargo bay doors. And she's not in yet. And he's freaking out. He's like, she's not in yet. She's not in yet. At this point, it's Tate Donovan uh, with Leah Thompson, Catherine, and Kevin. And it's up to them. Either they override this automatic landing sequence that, the, that NASA's already pre-programmed. It's their window. It's their way home. And they sacrifice Kate Capshaw. Or they flip the switch. And they take it upon themselves to get themselves home. Yeah. And uh, you know what? Tate Donovan shows that, you know, after all that talk about him not caring and waking up late and driving fast, he does care. He does care. At the last, at the zero hour, the last second, Mm. he flips that switch. He shows Catherine, you know, you don't make the sacrifice play. Yeah. That's not how we do it here. We don't trade lives. To quote Captain uh, America. Captain America. Big surprise, right? (laughs) But uh, they bring Andy back in. She's down for the count. So it is literally up to these children to get themselves back once again rudy pulling out the knowledge 
He's like, hey, I remember. Uh, he didn't get the name of the place right, but he's like, uh, what was it? White Sands, where they landed. No, he goes, he goes. What, it's like White Plains or something. And Tate Donovan is like, yeah, whatever, Ruby. White Plains is in New York, bruh. And <laughs> Catherine is like, wait a minute. I think he means White Sands, New Mexico. That's right. We can land there. Yeah. And then Tate Donovan's like, all right, get back on that Morse code. <laughs> Make them hear us. Yeah. And Which then, and then finally we get our, our scene yeah. with Jinx. They finally communicate after literally 12 hours of her constantly doing that. <laughs> and somehow they don't notice this red blinking light. She goes Nobody back. Nobody went to that terminal. Tunnel. Yeah, seriously. She's going to have to have some real rehab on that wrist. But they eventually, yeah, they, they manage. They pull it out. Uh, Catherine has to take the pilot seat. What a shock. The shuttle spins out of control on re-entry, and she has to steady it. That part was a little anticlimactic, I thought. It was a little anticlimactic because they, I think they did a great job of building up the like tension of it. Of like, oh, we're in a spin. You're in a, Catherine, you're in a flat spin. Because by this point, Andy has woken up, and so she's on comms with Catherine. And she's like, she even has this kind of nice speech of like you know i told you your moment was coming or whatever it is like this is that moment step up to the plate and she does it but they don't really like it just kind of happens yeah nobody's like whoa yeah nobody's like yay everybody's just kind of like oh and i think maybe a part of that is like the visual effects weren't quite up to showing us the ship stopping like because it's like spinning and it's mostly we're reading monitors of the spin or, like, seeing just the horizon spinning around or yeah. ha- hearing somebody talk about it. And then uh, and then we cut to close-ups of her with the joystick trying to get it straightened. And then it said, you did it. And then it cuts to a shot outside in space of the of the ship flat. Yeah. But we never got to see it steady itself, really. Yeah. So maybe that was part to do with it. But it was still, you know, a, a triumphant moment for Catherine. Yeah. And she's got another moment coming up because in re-entry, they need to get it uh, the nose to like 30 degrees. And I don't exactly know why it was so hard for her to maintain that. I, of course, I've never flown a space shuttle before. So, oh, no? Uh, believe it or not, no. Mm-hmm. I, you know what? Thinking about it now, it makes sense that it would be hard. There's that giant airplane simulator game that you can play at like yeah. Dave and Buster's with yeah. the, like the four screens or whatever. That shit's hard. Yeah, that is a really difficult game. I watched my brother play it and he kicked ass at it one time, uh, and I was like, I good got job, this. Alex. Yeah, good job, Alex. Way to go! And then I jumped on it and immediately crashed into the ground. Like not even trying to, because I've certainly played that game as well where I've tried to crash into the ground. Yeah, but I could not keep it steady, and that's a friggin' like arcade game at yeah. Dave and Buster's. So. And I mean, imagine that pressure and the whole shuttle is rattling, you know, and you're just yeah. trying to hold it right at 30 degrees and it's fighting you. It's fighting you, man. It's yeah. fighting you. I wonder too, if since she had kind of two moments in a row, if they didn't want to play the first moment too much because she was about to have another moment where she needs to like, yeah, I think so. It but it's odd that they, they set up the first moment of triumph so yeah. early in the movie and not the second one. You'd think that they'd have maybe both set up, but yeah. It is what it is, but they successfully straighten the shuttle, and they land, and the movie ends. Well, they don't even land uh, at first. Really, I feel like the movie ends when they break atmosphere. Like, she gets them through, which was kind of cool, because you don't know for a minute, like, if they made it or not. I mean, you know they're going to make it. Right. But they play it in a way where it's like... They're yelling at her to keep it at 30 degrees and the everything's lighting up. They're like, we're burning up, we're burning up. And the heat shield or whatever is super red and not, every, the whole screen kind of goes red. And then they come through the clouds or whatever and they made it. And then they go on autopilot and they kind of just get, they're like, okay, we'll bring you the rest of the way. And eventually they do land, but then 
That was it, right? Then the movie just ends. It's yeah. a it's a stock shot of a shuttle landing. You could tell it was not filmed for the movie. You could tell it was like in the archives at NASA somewhere. And then the credits start to roll. Which I'm, I'm And Terry O'Quinn was first on the credits. Terry O'Quinn got a card all by himself and then underneath it it then it said the cast and then was the rest of the cast i was like what what who is terry o'quinn's agent like i didn't even realize he was that big of an actor back in the day but like i thought his big claim to fame was john locke but clearly i'm wrong he was also howard hughes in rocketeer but that wasn't until the 90s yeah that wasn't for another like five or six years i don't know so I, I don't know man but despite the fact that there's no real denouement involved in this movie we didn't get to see the kids climbing out of the shuttle we didn't get to see Catherine and kevin kissing each other or, or you know or tish getting a science award or whatever them all getting medals like at the end of star wars which would have been very fitting and then what if jinx also got a medal that would have been tight (laughs) but anyway we don't get to see like max and jinx reunite on the ground we don't get any of that but despite all that that movie's fucking great and i mean it ends on a high note i mean yeah you miss out on the denouement but it's sort of like they've done it all they got back safely they worked as a team which was the most important thing they all overcame their certain flaws and rose to the occasion it's all smooth sailing after that they cut all that fat out man they were just like you know <laughs> what true. we told our story boom mic drop and hell i enjoyed it i know you did oh man it was a blast it was so fun to revisit this movie that i saw a million times as a kid but haven't seen since then yeah. it was really fun to to go back to those those days but the question i have for you listeners is what did you think was this movie a rocket to the moon or was it a failure to launch let us know how are you gonna let us know you can email us, as Seb mentioned earlier, hwigpodcast at gmail.com. You can also go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash hwigpodcast. We put pictures on there. We put posts. We post all of our new episodes, so make sure to listen to them there on Spotify, on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts. And where else could they find us, Seb? You can also find us on Instagram at hwigpodcast and on Twitter at hwigpodcast. Please do. Please go follow us. And suggest things. I mean, the most fun... We've had so much fun over the last few weeks doing uh, listener-suggested movies and etc. So we really appreciate the participation. It makes it fun for us. Yeah, absolutely. And not just movies either. We're talking eateries as long as we have one here like we couldn't do an hwig on waffle house unfortunately because we don't have one within driving distance of us but throw out us some restaurants throw at us some theme park attractions we are willing to go the distance to make sure that you know why the things you hate are actually great yeah anything characters tv shows finales board games anything you can think of that most people hate throw it at us we're ready damn right But until that day comes, until you let us know what you hate so we can tell you why it's great, I remain John Bring. And I am still Sebastian Kalichuk. And here's why it's great. How'd you know about Max, James? Jinx and Max, friends forever. Jesus Christ. Get that thing out of here. Get secure. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe you can help us, unless you got a better idea. Yo, Max! Wait a minute. Jinx, how can you help NASA? D-O-M-E-I-N-D-O-M-E-R-O. Take it out of here. Get it out. 
Code. Morse code. Max's code. Damn, they're talking to us! 